all of you an hour earlier than normal, right? And I see most of you holding your coffees, trying to get awake. LaVey's got three coffees in her hand. And, uh, glad that you would give of your time and, and the hour of Sunday school to, to be in here with us. Uh, we're delighted to have Dr. Tom Askell with us. He is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and he's been their pastor for 37 years. So praise the Lord. He also has served uh, as a pastor and associate pastor there in churches in Texas, and uh, I will give a lengthier introduction during our worship hour. But a couple of weeks ago, Brother Tom and another one of his elders did a podcast on the subject of the beauty and blessing of children in worship. And all of us want to honor the Lord. And and through the years here, the last seven or so years I've been here, this question has been asked of me by young parents with uh, young children and older ones about uh, that particular issue of children in the gathered worship service. We know what the Bible teaches in Deuteronomy, that we should love our God deeply and that we should teach our children diligently. And so he's going to come and share with us uh, kind of the model that they've arrived at through 37 years of pastoring his church. And uh, I know that you will receive a blessing, and I pray that the Lord God will touch this in our lives and help us uh, raise up a generation that loves the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Let's pray. Father, you're good to us, Lord. And We are thankful for the access we enjoy. We thank you for your advocacy on our behalf. Lord, we don't take it lightly. Lord, we're told to come with boldness, but not not haphazardly. And we just praise you uh, for the price that was paid, that you would hear us, Father. And thank you for this hour. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive your truth. Uh, Bless Brother Tom as he delivers this word to us. And, uh, Father, we have such a huge responsibility in our day regarding our children, and uh, that's been true forever. And we just pray that we would do our due diligence, Lord, uh, to be uh, found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Tom? Thank you for this opportunity to be with you today. I've looked forward to this. Um, got to know your pastor three or four years ago, I guess, on the phone and through text. We have mutual friends and had hoped to be out here uh, prior to this. COVID kind of scuttled those plans and we were able to reconnect and worked out in God's providence to uh, be here this Sunday. So thanks so much. I don't take it lightly to have this opportunity, this invitation. I bring you greetings from Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, and folks there are praying for us and prayed for our time together today, and uh, we're delighted. I'm I'm just always delighted to learn more personally, have a personal opportunity to fellowship with folks from around the country uh, where there are healthy churches, uh, where there are people who are hungry for the Word of God, and they want to be submissive to the Word of God. Uh, That is a great blessing, and I'm sure that if you've been a part of this church very long, that you uh, sense that blessing because I, I do hear from people very regularly who live in places and they say, man, we've been to 15 churches over the last year or so. We, we cannot find a church that just teaches the Bible. 
we want the Bible to be taught. And so praise God for this church, for your pastor, the staff here, and for the testimony that uh, this congregation has regarding the authority of God's Word. Well, um, Pastor Philip asked me to talk today about what we do with children in worship, and I'm happy to do that, but I also know that in doing that, I might be touching a live wire uh, for some people, and I don't want to be offensive at all. I understand churches can do things differently. I don't think that there is a, uh, a firm prescription that if you don't do it this way, then you're sinning. So please don't uh, hear me uh, with that kind of attitude at all. It is not what I believe. Uh, we have come to some convictions about how we do things, and we've made a lot of mistakes, and uh, we're always open to trying to do things better. And so it might be that a year, five years from now, we'll be doing things a little bit differently. But we do think that we've settled in to a pretty good rhythm for our church about how to think of children uh, being gathered together in worship. And the fundamental principle that we have is that we're convinced children belong in worship. They belong in the gathered worship of God's people. Doesn't mean they have to be there every time, but it does mean that they should certainly be welcome. And the attitude shouldn't be that children are a bother in worship. And uh, I've been to some churches, probably you have too, where children are not allowed to be in the worship gathering. Uh, one congregation, I remember, they, they made a big deal of it that, no, when, you, when you're walking into the gathering here, the children had to go elsewhere. And, you know, a lot of parents would just turn around and walk out because they're not going to hand their children over to people that they don't know. They're visiting there. But it was very intentional that the worship is going to be only for adults because they don't want any disruptions. They don't want anything to be done uh, that might be a little bit messy. Well, I, I think that authentic worship is, is going to be messy at times. And if you read from uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, you'll see that, yeah, they were pretty messy uh, in the way that they worshiped at times, and they had to be rebuked because some of their messiness got way out of hand. Well, I know that many modern evangelical churches believe that they are serving children and families better by providing something for children during the time of gathered worship. That's not our conviction. Uh, I, I've had that for many, many years. My wife and I have from, we've got six kids. Our oldest will be 40 here in a few weeks. And um, from the earliest time, uh, we just believe that, you know, we ought to keep our kids with us. And um, when I was early pastoring the church I'm in now, we did have a children's church, but that we worked through that over several years and were able to change things around. But we would get calls, and, and not very often anymore, but, but in those early years, a lot of times I'd get a call, and uh, somebody would say to me, you know, do you, do you have a children's church? And I'd say, well, you know, no, we don't have a children's church, and that would lead to lengthy discussions. And finally, after a few years, I figured out a better way to answer that question. They would say, well, hey, do you have children's church? i said, yeah, we sure do. Oh, great. When does it meet? Well, it meets at 1020 in the morning. Oh, that's wonderful. Where does it meet? It meets in the same place the adults meet, you know. Uh, we do worship for children and adults. It's just all together. And, um, and that's the way we feel about it. It's a theological conviction. We believe it's got some biblical foundations to it. And it has some practical benefits as well. So I want to talk about those specific three things. First, the biblical foundation for this the Old Testament specifically illustrates for us children being a part of the gathered corporate worship of God's people. Let me just give you a couple of examples. In Joshua chapter 8, 
when Joshua, before he died, uh, participated in a covenant renewal, led the people of Israel in a covenant renewal. We read in verse 35, Joshua 8, 35, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. Now, how long do you think it would take you to read the Pentateuch? You know, five books of the Bible. Okay, so Joshua did that in this gathered time of covenant renewal. And then it says, and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them were gathered there. They were assembled. So children were there. Now, you know, if you're going to have a gathering for several hours, you, you, I mean, adults are going to have to get up and move around some too. Uh, that's inevitable. Children are necessarily going to have to do that also. But they were there. That's the point. When Jehoshaphat gathered the nation to pray because of an impending attack by the Ammonites and some of their allies, in Second Chronicles 20.13, we read that in that gathering, little ones and children were with the adults. That's Second Chronicles 20.13. When Nehemiah was celebrating the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, he also gathered a, uh, the people together to worship God and thank God. In Nehemiah 12.43 we read, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So in the Old Testament, when they had these gatherings for worship, we see in at least a few places very specifically God inspired the authors of Scripture to make a point that the children were there. The children were there. Children weren't regarded as a bother. They weren't regarded as incidental. They weren't regarded as some future project. Uh, they were a part of the covenanted community. And in the New Testament, this continues on. Of course, we know very well how Jesus had to rebuke his own disciples because the disciples thought the children were being a pest, and they rebuked the parents of those little ones, and Jesus rebuked his disciples. Let the little children come to me. And so Jesus has a, a special affinity for children that every Christian, every follower of Jesus ought to share with him. So regardless of how you might think about this particular issue, the, the starting point for Christians ought to be, man, we love children, we value children, we want to do the best for children. In Matthew 21, verse 15, in the temple we read that the children were worshiping Jesus. The children were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. So children, God ordained praise from the mouth of infants and babes, we read in Psalm 8. Paul's letters to the churches of Ephesus and Colossae address children. And you know the New Testament letters, we live in a day when everybody's got a copy of the Bible, you probably got dozens of copies of the Bible if you count the electronic access that you have. Well, it wasn't the case in the first century, and so whenever a letter from an apostle arrived in a church, uh, they would gather in their time of worship, and that letter would be read. That was a significant part of their gathered worship. We know this um, because at the end of the letter to the Colossians, Paul says, I want you to share this letter with the Laodiceans, and I want, you, when it's, I want you to read among yourselves the letter I sent to the Laodiceans. And so gathered worship was the time when these apostolic letters that we have in our New Testament would have been read to churches. And some of those letters directly address children. And you, you're familiar with these verses, but Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, children... 
obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Well, if the children weren't there, they wouldn't have heard it. So the instructions that we use today to help train our children were designed to be heard by the children in gathered worship under the new covenant. And Paul goes on in that same passage, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Children were being addressed by the apostle Paul in the gathered worship of the churches of the New Testament. Same thing in the parallel passage of Colossians, Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now this is, I think, also instructive for pastors, that those who would preach on the Lord's Day regularly, that we ought not um, forget about the children. And that in applications, and sometimes when it's just really relevant, we ought to call attention to the children. When I say, children, listen to this. You know, specifically, young people, pay attention to this. That's appropriate. That's, that's following this apostolic pattern. We also have, in our church, we've come from these biblical considerations to theological convictions about this. Uh, fundamental to that is God created the family. God is the one who designed us to live together in families the way that we do. The family is the fundamental unit of society, the fundamental unit of any kind of um, uh, gathering or societal organization. So city, uh, state, nation, church, the fundamental unit there is the family. That's by God's design, a, a husband, a wife, and they become parents under its blessings. The children then are to be raised up by those parents. Parents are fundamentally responsible for bringing up their children. This is something, again, that we've lost in our day. Um, I, our society is discipling 24-7. The education system, the entertainment system, um, the, the news outlets, the medical societies. We're being discipled. One of the things that, that I want to remember all the time as a pastor is the people that I love and try to shepherd, they are being discipled. We breathe the air. I mean, you've probably heard it said by our vice president and our president and our former secretary of state, all three of them have said, you know, that, uh, that they're all our children. The children belong to all of us. And, you know, when the president and current vice president and president said that recently, I, I wanted to throw a brick through my computer monitor screen, you know, and say, no, 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 it's not, not my children, you know, uh, it, it may take a village somewhere else to raise a child, but uh, it takes a, a family to raise a child, in my understanding, of uh, the scriptures. And the church should understand that and support that. So we want to see children raised the way God intended them to be raised, which if, if parents would own the responsibility and see it and recognize it's a blessing that God has entrusted to us with the responsibility, that would go a long way to clarifying a lot of confusion about children in our day. So Ephesians 6, 4 specifically says, Fathers, do not provoke your children in anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. Uh, it's parents' responsibility. So praise God for schools and 
for athletic clubs and for Sunday schools and, and anything else that might be useful in helping our children to develop and to grow. Praise God for that. But those things are never a substitute for parents. So if your children go to school, uh, man, don't think that the school is responsible for educating your children. You might be enlisting the school or school teacher or a tutor to assist you, but the job is yours. If you have children, parents, you are responsible to bring them up. And that doesn't mean that you're sufficient in and of yourself, but it does mean that you're the number one person. Uh, Mom, dad, God has entrusted you with this responsibility. And so as you seek out helps for that, don't ever abdicate your responsibility. Don't ever think, well, they've got children's church, or they've got Sunday school, or they've got Christian school, or they've got this Bible club. Those things can be good. They can be fine. But they cannot replace what God has called parents to do. Parents are responsible to bring children up to honor and to obey proper authorities. Churches are responsible to help Christians to fulfill all of our God-given responsibilities. And so that means churches certainly ought to be an encouragement to families in seeking to serve and honor the Lord Jesus together. And again, we see this. We see this mentality in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. As he's nearing the end of his life, he says, If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, he says that because he's convicted. Uh, he, he can't control his children. He, he can't give his children new birth. I don't think Joshua had any kind of sense of that. I don't think any New Old Testament saint had any kind of sense that they had that kind of power. But they did understand, as Joshua declares it here, this is my house. I'm the head of this house. And so this is how we're going to live. We're going to serve the Lord. I've had to have that conversation with uh, some of my uh, strong-willed children at times uh, as we were growing up, you know, want to do this, don't want to do that. Say, look, in this house, there's not a question. We don't have to debate what we're going to be doing on Sunday. You know, you, can, you don't have to wonder what the schedule is going to be like on Sunday. Because in this house, we worship the Lord on the Lord's day together with the Lord's people where God has put us. And so there was just certain kind of uh, pre-commitments that we had because Jesus Christ is Lord. And again, I can't give my children new birth beyond my ability, but I can gospel them as hard as I know how. I can point them to Christ. I can show them the beauty of Christ the best of my ability, pray for them, pray with them, evangelize them, uh, all the while saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Uh, this is how we live in our house. And, you know, as the kids get older, they make their decisions more and more individually and understand that. But if they determine to make some decisions that are going to be dishonoring to the Lord and contrary to the ways of Christ, they're, they're not going to be a part of the household anymore. Because in our house, this is how we operate. So that's a, a, a biblical conviction. And we honor that conviction in the church by trying to assist parents to own it and to see the, the beauty of it and the goodness of it. We also are convinced that God meets with his people in special ways in gathered worship. 
something that used to be rather common in terms of uh, how Christians, evangelical Christians, thought about their life before God what is what is called the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. Uh, so often today, we are looking for quick fixes or better solutions. And so we think, you know, man, if only we could do X, Y, Z, if only we had this program, if only we had uh, this event, and maybe you had a good experience at a, a youth camp or a Bible camp or something, and you think, man, that's what we need. That's the ticket. We need the Bible camp. We need the youth camp, or we need whatever it might be that could be good, but it's not ordinary. It's, it's extraordinary. And so we begin to value those extraordinary things more than the ordinary means of grace. And God has given us what we need for this life and a life to come that are really quite simple, but we don't value them nearly as much as we ought to. So if we were to take God at his word and say, okay, uh, what does it mean to be a real Christian and how do I grow in the grace of Christ? Well, I need to read my Bible. I need to meditate on it. I need to memorize it. I need to pray diligently. I need to fellowship regularly with God's people. I need to submit myself to the Lordship of Christ in a local church. It's being led by godly, faithful elders and pastors who know how to care for and shepherd the flock of God. I need to be regular in worship, gathered worship with the people of God. And we just take advantage of those ordinary means of grace the, the same way that you take advantage of just regular eating you know, to keep you alive. Uh, you might go out to a fancy restaurant every once in a while, but most of the time that's not what you're going to be eating. You're going to be eating just regular meals. Well, that's part of the way God's designed us to grow together with these ordinary means of grace. And there is something very special that does not happen any other way, any other place, that does take place in the gathered worship of God's people. I mean, praise God for technology. Uh, we can record sermons and services and live stream and, you know, all those things have a, they can be valuable, but they cannot replace being gathered with the people of God. One of the sad realities that has happened over COVID, there were some benefits, real benefits that came from COVID. Your pastor and I were talking about some of those a moment ago, and we've experienced that as well as you have here and, and praising God that you have had that here. People find out about your church and they want to come be a part of it. But the downside is worship online. I mean, I've, that's become a phrase now. Uh, I've even seen some Christian leaders talk about how to have baptism services online. I mean, it's nuts. You know, it's crazy to think about that. We're going to do communion online. Well, look, you can't do church online. You can benefit and praise God for the benefits, but it is no substitute for what God has prescribed in the gathered worship of his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 has a verse in it that has just captured my imagination. And I have to confess, I've never seen it, but I pray for it regularly. Uh, in verse 25, 1 Corinthians 14, in the context of talking about worship, Paul is saying why it is so important for the word to be understood as it's being proclaimed. And he says that the unconverted person will come among you and he'll be exposed and convicted and fall down and say, truly, God is among his people. Well, I want to see that happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen online. It's not going to happen through just a recorded sermon. Those things can be good. They can be fine. God uses those things. But those are extraordinary. And the ordinary means of grace uh, include the regular gathered worship 
of God's people. And so we want our kids to experience that. You know, sometimes one of the objections that we hear is, look, the children don't understand everything in the worship service that takes place in worship service. And, And that's true. But most adults don't understand everything either, you know, that happens in a worship service. So that's no excuse. Unconverted people who come among us certainly don't understand everything that's going on. But we don't want to exclude them for that. And I think typically we underestimate our children. Uh, We don't fully uh, appreciate the capacity that they have. Uh, We've got 18 grandkids, and they're all in the church with us, and it's amazing. We know it's not going to last like that forever, but boy, we're enjoying it now. And so one of the things that started happening the last year or two is um, different grandkids, usually almost every Sunday now, I guess it is, they will ask if they can come sit uh, with Nani and Paps, and so we're always happy to do that, and Don and I usually sit up on the, one of the front rows, and so was it last week or two weeks ago or so, our two-year-old uh, granddaughter um, is sitting with us, and you know, she, she talks a little bit, but she can't have a conversation with you. Uh, Donna was sitting there with her and a couple of other grandkids, and I'm, I'm preaching, and Donna told me this after the service, said, uh, you know, said, well, while you were preaching, said Maggie suddenly stopped and looked up and started talking, and Donna was going to shush her because she was talking a little bit loud, but what she realized was that she was, was saying back to me things that I said about God, you know, God Almighty. God holy. You know, I mean, these things that she'd heard before, now she's hearing me say it. And so it just something clicked in her. When I, you know, I don't, I'm not under any delusions that she fully understands all that. But praise God that she was there, something clicked. She's getting a portrait of what God has prescribed as just a regular, ordinary way for his word to be dispensed and for his people to be strengthened for his kingdom to be expanded. I was just with Jim Scott Ork uh, the last few days, enjoyed some fellowship with him. Jim is a pastor uh, outside of Louisville, Kentucky. He was for 20 years a professor at Boyce College there at Southern Seminary. And Jim said that he, when he was teaching, he would regularly ask his classes, you know, how many of you were converted through a one-on-one uh, just cold conversation with somebody you'd never met before. How many were converted? So usually, you know, maybe one person every couple of years would raise their hands. You know, then how many of you were converted at, at some special event? And how many of you were converted by conversation with, with parents? He said that, that percentage was pretty significant. And he said, how many of you were converted by being in a worship service, hearing the Bible preached in your church? He said like 90%, 90%. Again, we underestimate the ordinary means of grace of which gathered worship is a significant part. Well, there's some practical considerations for us that have guided us, and we've learned some of this. Um, the COVID gave us opportunities. We, we, looked, we didn't know there were opportunities. We thought they were real problems, but they turned into wonderful opportunities that uh, we've taken advantage of now. But not having children's church enables us not to have to staff uh, that ministry. And so if you're going to have children's church, you're going to have to have adults that aren't in the regular worship uh, gatherings. And again, you know, those things happen too. You have a safety team and the other things like that. There are people that are working in the sound booth and, and stuff. So people have to do those things. 
But if, if, you've, if you can avoid having more of that than is necessary, then you're facilitating having people give uh, a, a more regular opportunity to be in worship. If children's church is designed specifically for children, then an unintended consequence tends to be that children start learning that church is really about them. So we're doing something specifically for them on their level. And uh, that begins to communicate, okay, we're going to go to church. Well, what's in it for me type of thing? And again, we, we do things age graded. We do things specifically. You do things for women and for men and for senior adults and for young marrieds. I mean, those things are fine. But in the gathered worship where God has prescribed for us what's to take place when we assemble, it's not about us. It's about him. And we're here to worship him. Now, the, the good news is when we do that, that's good for us. But we're to do it the way he's prescribed, and he has prescribed one set of worship rules for children and one set for adults, which, if I can go on and expand that, he hasn't prescribed one set for surfers and one set for bikers and one set for cowboys. And so all these kind of affinity churches that we have, you know, okay, you know, I understand what you're trying to do, and maybe there's some good that can come from that, but you're not getting that from the Bible, you're not getting that from what the Word of God tells us we ought to be doing in worship. Worship should be regulated by God's Word. And when it is, it's beneficial. It's beneficial for those who gather, and certainly when we come as we're instructed to come in being prepared for worship. And I've already mentioned it, but it's certainly true to worth underscoring. Children are capable, <coughs> excuse me, of much more than we typically give them credit for. Uh, they can understand and participate quite a bit in worship. And uh, it's cute. I, you probably get this too, Philip. But I, every once in a while, kids will draw pictures um, and bring them to me you know, after church. Well, last Sunday, uh, I think he's four years old, uh, this little boy. And he's just rambunctious. He's all boy. I mean, I just I love him because he's all speed, no control. You know, it's boom, he's everywhere. <laughs> And uh, he came up to me and said, Pastor Tom, I, I drew this for you. This is you preaching. And it was a white piece of paper, and he had a, a black pen, and it was it almost looked like a figure of a person, but, you know, it was just, you know, just, just, just all of this mess. And he handed it to me, and I'm thinking, this is awesome, you know. I mean, he's, he at least captured the inside of my life, you know, and all <laughs> the, the mess that it is. But he was, he was tracking. He was paying attention. He was thinking, you know, he was wanting to do something. How much did he get? I don't know how much he got. But he was engaged, and, and that was right and good. And I'll tell you, I, I, my heart melts. <clears throat> uh, we do certain things pretty regularly in our gathered worship, and so there are some things you can pretty well count on. We recite the Lord's Prayer on Sunday mornings. And I've been sitting there at times, and my grandkids who can't read are reciting the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we recite the Apostles' Creed, and to hear kids reciting the Apostles' Creed who can't read, to hear them singing. Uh, I was sitting last Sunday night, uh, wasn't preaching, so Don and I were sitting in a little different spot in the back of uh, one section of the church, and there's a, a family that was sitting to our left, and they've got a, a boy who's maybe four or so, and the, the daughter is two. And uh, then they've got a little baby. And I hear this voice, these, we're singing these songs, 
And I hear this little voice, I'm turning to look, and it's, and it's little Emily. And she's just belting out these songs. I mean, and I'm, I almost wept. I, you know, I'm just looking at this, and there she is, and she's just singing these songs. And so I went up and talked to them afterwards, commended them, and commended her, talked to her. I said, man, this is awesome. I mean, some of the songs I wasn't familiar enough with to look away. You know, I had to get the words or else I wouldn't have been able to sing it. I said, How, what's going on? I said, oh, we sing in our house. And, you know, we, we send out in preparation for the Lord's Day the songs that will be sung in an e-newsletter to our folks. And they, they play those songs and they sing those songs. And the parents are teaching this little two-year-old girl uh, to sing the songs. So when she's in church, this is familiar to her. And uh, that's something parents can do, and it's something that we ought to encourage. Uh, as the kids get older, man, they can listen for key words and write them down. And, you know, just Pastor Tom's going to be preaching on this today, so pay attention. You know, you get the text of the, the sermon and the, the title of the sermon, you can kind of figure out uh, what's going to be said. And, again, we'll send those things out uh, before the Lord's Day usually, and so they can have opportunity to be prepared for it. So, we have suggestions that we make for parents as well as for the church. For parents, um, just recognize and embrace the responsibility for training your children. We, as parents, are called to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, your pastor referred to Deuteronomy 6. This is an everyday, all the time responsibility. And putting your children, bringing them with you, letting them see you worship and others worship, uh, that can be a significant help in that. I, I tell parents that if you've not been training your children to worship, then and, you know, if they're two, three, four, five, six years old, you need to plan on 100 worship services. 100. Just mark it down. Okay, so if you come twice a month, that's going to take you a while. But if you come twice a Sunday, um, okay, you can probably do it in a year or so. But just don't, just, this is part of it. And I've, I've heard the frustrations. We've lived the frustrations uh, in our own home when our kids were young. Uh, my wife, not, not me, because she was, she was doing it, you know, uh, but uh, having to take the kids out. And I just don't feel like I'm getting anything. Well, I understand that's a season. That's a season. And it's a sacrifice, but it is a sacrifice worth making. You know, you're doing something that by God's blessing, under his blessing, will reap a harvest for eternity. And so embrace the sacrifice and do it. You know, I um, plan on about 100 worship services. So, often it will take less than that. But, you know, if you set them up for 100 and it's less than that, they think, oh, great. You know, so I did it better than normal. And don't let discouragement or frustration cause you to quit. Also, I'd say to parents, prepare your children for worship. Train them. How do you do that? Well, have regular worship in your home. Um, family worship is a valuable, valuable way of training your children to worship when we gather on the Lord's Day. And I, I blew this so much in our early marriage with our children. And usually the way it would go for me is, is like this. You know, I knew we ought to do it. I'd never seen it done. Didn't experience it when I grew up. And I heard about family worship, and I'm thinking, okay, I read the Puritans. They talked about daily worship in the churches, the, the family's a little church. And so I'd try it, and it wouldn't go well. And we, we had two little kids, two years old and six months or so. And, uh, and I remember when we moved to Cape Coral, that was our family. 
And uh, I'm just convinced. I'm convicted we ought to do this. And we'd try it, and the kids would be screaming, and, you know, everybody would be upset. And so we just wouldn't do it. And then go weeks, and I'd feel guilty. You know, I'm not leading my family in worship. And so uh, something would happen, and I would, I would just be concerned about it. So right, we're going to have family worship tonight. And then I'd try to make up for the three or four weeks that we missed, you know. And, and so I'd have an hour-long sermon and, you know, the two-year-old's crying, the six-month-old's crying, Donna's crying, you know. And I'm, I'm frustrated thinking, why am I the only spiritual one in this household, you know. Uh, until finally I, we went to a, a pastor's home for dinner. And he said, hey, do you mind after dinner? He said, you, and he had older kids than I did. He said, do you mind if uh, we just, you know, read and pray? I said, sure. So he takes out this little book. He reads a little story from the scriptures, asked two or three questions of his kids, and then we sang the doxology and prayed. It took five minutes, and we're leaving the house that night, and I'm thinking, I can do that. You know, that's no big deal, and that's what we started doing, and uh, I, I wrote an article about this. It's called Family Worship for Dummies that you can find at founders.org if you uh, were like me and need some help with that. So have regular family worship. Gear up for the Lord's Day. I mean, go over expectations with your children and practice them make it a game you know say hey look tomorrow when we're in church i want you to sit sit real quiet we're going to sing this song so let's sing now you pretend like you're in church and and just get them knowing what to expect again if you can get the songs i don't think that would be too difficult in this church that are going to be sung then practice them with your children so that they recognize them you're training them to sing good stuff in the home and when they're here they're familiar with that pray pray for the church let your children hear you pray lead them in praying for the church for the pastor for the people who will be gathered for their sunday school teachers so that they are geared toward the lord's day make sunday special make it a special day we have some folks in our church and they would have special cookies on sunday they would not i wouldn't eat them any other time or special games to let the kids play on Sunday, so that Sunday became something that the kids looked forward to, not always for the right reasons, but it was just the rhythm of life. And build your life around the church, which will include building your life around the rhythms of Lord's Day worship. <clears throat> Another thing that you can do is to uh, teach them to, to give. You know, we pass offering plates in our church. We treat giving as an act of worship. And something that uh, Don and I have started doing with our, our grandkids that sit with us is we will take extra coins for them so that they can give. We give them two. We say, okay, you put one in the offering plate, and then you, you, keep, you get to keep one for yourself. And they like that deal. Uh, so, but it's good for them. The offering plate you know, gets passed, and they get to participate in that. And I um, you know, was talking to one of my uh, kids who has my grandkids. And he said, well, you're, you're kinder than I am. So I, I had my son earn a dollar, and I told him, okay, you know, you need to put this, the whole thing in the offering plate, you know. And I said, well, that's fine, too. You know, but, just, but just teach them to give, that this is something that they can do. <clears throat> teach them how to be quiet. They can be quiet. Um, as the kids get older, you know, it's, it's really, they, they learn pretty quickly that they can get up if they do certain things and, and, and be taken out. And sometimes they, they like that. And I've had parents say, well, my child just can't sit through an hour and a half or hour 15 worship service. And I'll say, well, have they ever sat through a Disney movie? You know, and typically the answer is yes. Well, okay, it's not a physical limitation then. You know that. So you're not dealing with something that your kid's not capable of doing. Now you have to figure out how you encourage them to do what they're capable of doing in the context of worship. And that can be done. <clears throat> Again, I would encourage parents, just don't... Uh, 
Don't get distracted in um, trying to train your children. Just know it's going to be hard. And one of the most significant things you can do is model for them. Model for them what it looks like to worship. Be engaged yourself. Come prepared. Open the Bible whenever it's being read and sing the songs. Um, one of the most encouraging things for me as a pastor is to look around and see the congregation singing. One of the most discouraging things is to look around and see people like, you're not going to get me to sing. You know, it's almost like a chip on the shoulder or something. Well, let your children see you singing. And that's something the rest of the church can do too. Is man, engage in worship, not because you're putting on a show for kids, but because you love the Lord and you want to honor him. But just know that as you do that, it has implications beyond yourself. There are people, young eyes, that are watching and can learn for you. As a church, we try to, to teach our people what a blessing it is to have children in worship. Um, <clears throat> our assistant pastor has young kids, and so he's typically the one that, that will uh, do a welcome and announcements. And, and he'll say, look, we've, we've got an unstaffed nursery. That's one of the benefits that came out of COVID for us is we still have nursery facilities. We just don't staff them anymore. So parents can still use those facilities. We have rooms for nurse, nursing mothers and you know, for kids that are loud and little older kids. And so you can go out these doors. You can go down to those uh, rooms if you need, if your children get too loud. We, we love children in this church. We want children to be here with us. But I'm a parent. I've got young kids, and I know I've got to take them out sometimes when they get too uh, loud, and you can do that too. Just know uh, we provide that for you. So teach the ch the church to see children in worship as a blessing, and encourage those who are without children. If your children are gone or you don't have children, to encourage the parents who have children that are training, because it's a it's a very self conscious thing for parents who have kids in there and they're wiggly and they're squirmy and they might shout or cry or do something. Man, we've tried to train our people. When you hear that, do not turn your head. All right? Because that's the natural, most natural thing in the world. Somebody screams and you just, everybody wants to see what's going on. Well, we got kids in the church. They're going to scream. They're going to cry. And so here is a way you can bless parents and those children. When you hear them cry, just keep looking straight ahead. Don't turn your head because the parents are already feeling bad enough. And if everybody's looking at them, it's like, oh, I can't believe this. And then after the service, if they take them out and they, they had a hard time or whatever, go seek those parents out and say, man, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. This is good. I know it's hard, but it's good. Pray for them and just reassure them that they're on the right track and that you are cheering them on. Another thing we can do is increase our tolerance of the noises little children make. Uh, it's actually a joy for me. I mean, sometimes it can be over the top, and the parents need to take them out. So if you've got young kids and you're doing this, realize that this is not a license for you to disrupt everybody else's worship. Okay, don't, that's, that's not what I'm advocating. But whenever there are those, those sounds or those cries and, and parents are dealing with it, I just praise God. I mean, that is a good thing. That's not a bad thing in our context. One thing you could do, we've done this off and on during the time I've been at Grace, we're doing it now, is consider making a children's bulletin available. And so the ones responsible for that will get the text and the theme of the sermon that I'm preaching, get the songs, and will maybe take words and say, every time you hear this word, circle it. 
you know, or when here's a here's an idea that's going to be expressed. I usually will have a, a thesis a statement in my sermon, and and will give that to the folks doing the bulletin. So they'll they'll write out that sentence, or they'll write out part of that sentence, and so the children can have their own uh, guide there to help them to zero in on parts of the service. Provide resources. This is another thing we encourage our church to do, and other churches to help parents with the responsibilities that we have in church. Here's some resources that um, we use. These are the Truth and Grace memory books. These are books that are um, scoped and sequenced for different aged children. And this is book one. It's a memory book in that it has Bible verses in it to memorize. It has hymns in it to memorize. And it has a catechism to memorize, a children's catechism. Now, if you're like me, I grew up Baptist, and when I heard the word catechism, I thought Roman Catholic, you know, or maybe Lutheran. And it was a real education to me to discover, no, Baptists have had catechisms too, and we used to use them a lot. And so we put together these little Truth and Grace memory books. This is a children's catechism that it's built around. So uh, periodically, when I'm preaching, because we use these in our churches, encourage our families to use them, uh, there'll be questions that are appropriate for me to ask in the sermon. So say, okay, children, I want you to help me with this. Now, now, who made you? And they'll say, God made me. Well, what else did God make? God made all things. Well, why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. You know, are there more gods than one? No, there's only one God. Well, how many persons does this one God exist? In three persons. And they can get it. Do they understand all of it? No, not, not quite. You know, but they will. I like to see it as laying wood on an altar. So that when the fire of God drops down, it has something to burn. And I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've had conversations with Sunday school teachers and parents who have told me in the course of, of saying something that had nothing to do directly with the catechism, the children had something click in their minds. Oh, he's talking about our first parents. Well, yeah, God made the body of Adam out of the ground and formed Eve out of the body of Adam. It's in there. It's in there. And here's a benefit to um, pastor, what I discovered, and this is true for myself as well, but whenever we get parents catechizing their children, the parents get it. Yep. I mean, I've sat a lot of time, long time, as your pastor has, in classrooms for theological education. I have never done anything that has been better for me than to catechize my children. Because catechizing them gave them and me these frameworks on which to hang biblical teachings. So that's book one. Book two is built on the Baptist catechism. So this is for little older kids. And book three is built upon a Baptist version of the Heidelberg catechism, which is my favorite. And so I'm going to leave these with your pastor. And if you want uh, these, you can get more of these at uh, founders.org. Provide resources to help parents with this task. And another thing that we try to do in our church is to create a culture that treats children as blessings from God. And we're in a day when children are looked at as burdens. I mean, just, just look at abortion. You know, my body, my choice, I'm not going to ruin my career, I'm not going to ruin my time of life. And that attitude's carried over. Well, the Bible says, Psalm 127, that children are a blessing from God. They're, they're gifts from God. And... Um, if the church doesn't sound that note and celebrate that reality, it's not going to happen anywhere else in society because children are regarded as burdens. And so with the birth of a child, praise God, celebrate that. 
children in the congregation, praise God and encourage parents to see that as a blessing. And then finally, we encourage those that don't have children to be willing to help those who do, who might need extra help. Because they're special needs kids. We have them in our church, and you probably have them here. There are home situations where maybe one spouse doesn't come or one spouse isn't around or our grandparents or someone else is responsible for young ones, and they might need extra help. Uh, we've got some uh, people in our church, one young couple I'm thinking of, they don't have any kids, <clears throat> and whenever, like Graham, our assistant pastor, is preaching, well, his wife's now left with three little kids. And so if one of them needs to be taken out, she's got to take all three of them out unless there's somebody willing to sit with her other kids. And so they just go do that. You know, they'll be there, they'll sit with them from the beginning of the service, and they'll be in charge if mom has to take one of the kids out. So look around and see, there, there are things like that that you can do too. If you see somebody that's struggling, just go encourage them, not in any kind of, you know, condemning way, like, oh, well, you can't handle this, I've got to help you. No, it's, look, man, uh, I've done it, or I wish I had done it, or our church is all about this, and so we just want to help you with that and encourage the parents encourage the children. Um, this, is a, this is a great opportunity for us to affect a rising generation in, in ways that can't be duplicated uh, in, in any other method. This is something God's prescribed for us to worship regularly, and whenever we do that and have children among us, we get to demonstrate to them that there's a God in heaven. He gave up his son for us. He is worthy of our worship. And so much of what it means to be a Christian and how to live the Christian life, it, it's caught rather than taught. They, they sense it. They watch it. They observe it. Um, I remember one time I was in a church and this little girl who had the deepest green eyes I've ever seen was sitting in front of Don and me. I was a guest there. And so we're singing and she turns around and she just, she, she, pierced a hole in me with her eyes. I mean, she's just glaring at me. She's probably three or four years old. And she was so cute, you know? I mean, so I wanted to make a little face at her, you know, like you do as a grandpa for kids. You like to play with them. But uh, God helped me. And I thought, best thing I can do for this kid right now is just sing and ignore her looking at me and just sing. And so she sat there for, I don't know, two or three songs, just staring at me. And I'm singing. And I'm thinking, Lord, please help her to see that you are worth singing about. You know, help her to learn the lesson. That here's a guy, and he's not trying to get my attention. He's not, you know, making faces at me. He is singing to somebody that he believes really exists. And if we can do that for our kids, that will be a great gift to them. Well, let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of children. We thank you for the way that you have ordered the family in this world. And we know that there's so much confusion on this today, and there's so many attacks on the idea. And uh, people would hear what I've said today and think that it's atrocious. And yet you've given us your word, and you've called us to live under the lordship of Christ in submission to that word. I thank you for this church and for their love for children. I pray you would guide them, help them as they continue to uh, seek to nurture little ones and to help families, those who are raising little ones, to do so with joy, with diligence, and to do it in the nurture and admonition of Christ. And raise up a generation of 
young people in this church who will be mighty in your word and spirit, who will be willing to go to hard places to live and die to make Jesus known because he is worthy of worship. We ask in his name. Amen.